0: Welcome to Business Buzz. This is your host, Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'm so glad to be here on another lovely Chico afternoon. It just keeps getting better around here. I can't believe December has zero clouds and not much rain. So it's been a real, real interesting month. It's not good in the long run because with all the fires that are happening around California, it's really kind of scary. And if we go another month with no rain, we're going to be behind like Southern California got behind, and that's not going well. That was kind of bad. So hopefully uh, that's actually really bad down there. Hopefully they're getting a handle on things. I didn't read any news today. I've been having a pretty busy day at my day job, which is helping people plan their taxes regardless of talk about tax reform. I'm starting to get the feeling this tax reform is going to be Compromised as we go. I just read today. I was able to see that the twenty percent corporate tax that the Trump side or the Republican side has been starting with has now been moved to twenty one percent. I also saw that the top rate has been capped a little lower at thirty seven for the individual side. So it seems like the if the twenty goes to twenty one. The next time they have a little go around, it might go to 22. And pretty soon before you know it, it might be more like 25 than 20. I'm not really sure where that's going to go. That's why I don't invest a whole. I've spent some time studying the initial proposal about a month ago. I shared it with you on the radio here. I talked about the fact that based on what I read, a basic family without a lot of deductions to lose would probably make out pretty well with this new plan. The problem I see is that there's a lot of deductions that might go by the wayside. So while rates get reduced, it looks like deductions may be disappearing or going away. My other disappointment in the last major thing I read, I think it was two or three weeks ago, was that the alternative minimum tax repeal, which is what I've been hoping for, looks like it's going to be phased in over some seven or eight year period, if I remember right. So with all the promises they came out with at the start of this thing, it's starting to sort of go away, fade away, not being so great. Uh, I didn't think some of it was that great to begin with, but my point being on that is that I don't spend a lot of time studying these proposals because I can see the general way they're heading lower rates less deductions a lot of people are going to end up either being the same or worse people with children are going to lose their exemption deduction but it sounds like the child credit per child number one it's going to end at age 18 instead of age 17 at least in one of the proposals we have the senate proposal versus the house i can't remember off the top of my head which one had what That's why I don't spend time memorizing this whole thing, because it's all going to change. But when they do finally make a tax law, which it sounds like they want to do, then we'll dig in and make sure we got it figured out. We have to assume that 2017 is going to keep the 2017 law. In other words, the planning that needs to be done between now and the end of the year, you can't base that—you can base it on the fact that you— Probably are going to be facing a lower rate next year. So, in that case, there's times where you would want to postpone your income if possible and get the income into 2018, knowing or figuring that there's going to be a lower tax rate. I've probably told you this before, but I got to give you another quick rundown of the all time biggest tax reduction that was known to be coming was when the Reagan tax cuts were law and the upper rate in the year we were in could be up to 70%, depending on your type of income, federal tax rate. But we knew for a fact that the next year the top rate was going to be 27%. There were some amazing things you could do back then. If you could legitimately say you weren't sure, one of the ways some people handled it was They prepaid their state income tax in December. Let's just say a guy's making $500,000 a year, so he's in the top bracket. He prepaid his state tax in December of, let's just say, $50,000. He got a deduction against his federal tax for 70% bracket times $50,000. He saved $35,000 on the tax return he was going to file in the next couple of months following December. But let's say he guessed a little high and he didn't really need to put the 50 in. He got the 50 back as a refund, which is taxable because he deducted the 50 in the prior year in December. But guess what? The rate in that future year, two months later, was 27%. So he saved $35,000 on his tax at the end of December. And two months later, he got a refund of $50,000 that was taxed at 27%, which would be $13,500 of tax. He made the difference, which is 43%, in two months. Now, I will put a little caveat in there if there's any IRS people listening. You're not supposed to do that. But they also, the state wants you to prepay if you're, and they want you to guess how much money you're making. So if you've got a lot of businesses and you're not certain what your total state tax is going to be, it's totally legal to prepay the state tax in December based on your estimate. That was the one time where the tax rates were changing so much that it just got kind of wacky. It just didn't make sense. But it was a great thing for people with, with enough money to be able to do that. This time around, I don't think the rates are going to be so much lower that it's a big deal. But you could plan, if you do have some income that you don't have to earn until January and you can postpone earning it so that you're not entitled to the money in December, it may pay this year to put some of the income off until 2018, just knowing that it's likely the tax rates will be lower. Hopefully, it'll work out fine for you. Some people are going to pay a little more tax, some people are going to pay less, some people it might be about the same. I'm not This is not a huge overhaul like it was in 1986, which is that whole Reagan the tax cut that went along with tax changes to the actual tax rules. And that's the thing that I don't see happening in this new tax proposal. The basic rules of income are not being changed like they were in 1986's legislation which took effect it took effect in 1987 but it was the 86 tax reform if i remember right of course now we're talking 30 years ago i was just a neophyte tax person uh, fresh out of well i was out of college 7 years prior to that but i've been doing taxes for years so i was still sort of a neophyte But it was fun back then when there was that many changes going on because I was able to then learn at the brand new tax law, and I, there's no, put it this way, nobody, even a guy 90 years old, has been practicing the 1986 tax law longer than me. I'll put it that way. So I was around when it happened. I'm still around, and I'll be around for this next change, but like I say, it's not as much of a giant sea change as the one in 1986 was. I won't bring up the same argument I brought up last time I mentioned tax changes with the fact that Ronald Reagan not only ushered in the biggest tax cuts in history, but he also ushered in the biggest deficits in history. And if somebody argues with me on that, I will say that and I have not looked this up, but I I will if I need to. Did Reagan ever veto a budget that he was under his watch? In other words, the president. You know, whenever you hear about the annual budget, you have to remember the president proposes the budget. In a in a perfect world, the executive branch wouldn't even be involved in that because the Constitution gives the process of the budget and the purse strings to Congress. The fact that the way our system has turned out, this executive heavy system we've got, always gives a lot more power to the executive than I believe the founding fathers intended. That's just my opinion. I'm not a, I, I have a law degree. I'm not an attorney, nor do I play one on television. I don't pretend to be an attorney, but I do have a law Degree, So I know some law in my opinion, the executive branch has way too much power over the other two that was not intended originally. That's just my, my opinion for what it's worth. That's free advice and you get what you pay for. But in a real world, if you read the constitution, the Congress would be the one proposing the budget, but they're so they're just out of control. They can't get together on anything. There's so many special interests, so many lobbyists. They can't really do anything. It turns out these days the president proposes the budget, and then the Congress kind of tweaks it, argues about it, and might pass it. So anybody who tells me that Ronald Reagan did not oversee the biggest deficit increase in history at the time and the start of -of out-of-control debt and deficits, I will look up before next time we talk whether Reagan ever vetoed a congressional budget during his tenure, and I'll have to look that up because I, I don't believe he ever did, but I will be willing to say that he tried not to balloon the deficit if he ever vetoed one of those budgets, but I doubt if he did. But with the Internet at your fingertips and not at mine because I'm busy talking here, maybe you can look that up for me and tell me how valiantly uh, King Reagan tried to reduce the deficits because I didn't see it. I might have missed that. I might have been too busy doing tax returns to notice what he was doing. Anyway, that is my opening salvo about the great tax reform that's upon us. I don't think it's a big deal, and that's the last I'll say about that today. I will move on to more financial and business-related news Financially, I've been reading a lot about the cryptocurrencies. If you've been following me at all, I told you about a month ago that I finally put my foot in the water and bought a couple of Litecoins. Now remember, these are not physical things. They're just all electronic nothings in the internet. And I'll be darned that $65 that I paid for my first two Litecoins... Each Litecoin today was worth $370. That's what they call a five-bagger. It's almost a six-bagger, which is pretty incredible in one month. Stock pickers like to talk about five-baggers over a period of a year or two, like Facebook or, oh, what are some of those other wonderful stocks that represent such wonderful companies? Facebook, Apple. Oh, I love those guys. Is anybody aware that the very first Apple computer was set at a Lisp ma- uh, manufacturer's suggested retail price of, drumroll please, $666? Be that as it may, whether that means anything or not, a five-bagger in stocks is like the people who bought Bank of America when it was at five or six do- $4 or $5 dollars about seven years ago. And now it's back up to 30 bucks, something like that. But we're talking over seven years. The five-bagger in Litecoin just happened in the last month. If you go back to the start of this year, Litecoin was $4 each. Now it's almost 400 So actually in 12 months, you actually have a hundred-bagger in Litecoin. I am not a financial advisor. I'm not recommending you buy any cryptocurrencies. I'm not a financial advisor. I also don't play one on television, but I'm just telling you what I've happened to do the last month just for fun. I honestly feel that it's not a long-term investment in the sense that there's nothing there. It's kinda like, it's kinda like buying a dot-com stock that has no profit. In other words, back in 1999, there were people touting stocks because of the name of the stock and it was from Silicon Valley and it was going to do this and it was going to do that and they never made a profit. So if you talk about price earnings ratio, which I've talked about before, your price earnings ratio for of a stock that does not have a never made a profit is in, infinite because your divisor of the price divided by the earnings Is infinite what I'm saying is these cryptocurrencies are not a long-term investment but if you can turn a quick profit cash them in and buy something real with your profits that's the secret to this cryptocurrency thing in my opinion if you could make a quick profit and then say for instance take that $1,300 profit you could make off a few litecoin We're going to get back to this right after the break. I can't wait to talk more about it. This is Harold Littlejohn CPA. Stay tuned for more business buzz.
1: you go all the way to mars for water when we have the best tasting water at mount shasta it comes from our protected springs and is delivered right to your door great
2: landing bob
1: hey where are you going with that those martians are stealing my water guess we have some new customers and anyone can get mount shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227 your and simple naturally the best mount shasta spring water
0: Our Savior Lutheran Church in Paradise reminds listeners, in the United States, 15% of veterans are homeless. Contact your nearest VA hospital and become a volunteer, even if just for one day. Every effort to help our homeless veterans does make a difference. May God bless our troops. This message from Our Savior Lutheran Church, 6404 Pence Road in Paradise. Call for service time information at 877-7321. They're on the air because they care. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I was just talking about Litecoin and the returns and what you might think of that. What I was getting at is that as a long-term investment, I don't think it's a great idea because these coins are actually just digits in the internet somewhere. I'm learning about how they work. I don't think I need to know everything. I'm not a computer expert. But my point is, let's say you could every month you know, gamble a little bit of money, and let's say you could make a $1,300 profit every month. Could you not then sell that, Gain and buy something real like an ounce of gold or put it towards a down payment on a home. That's the value of these coins, as they call them, these cryptocurrencies, in my opinion. The value is they have a chance of making you a quick profit, perhaps. Now, the other problem is it's just like gambling at the casino. You really, uh, nobody should invest money with this that they need for their bills because it is risky and it is volatile. But volatility itself is not a bad thing. It enables you to harness the chance of making a profit that's reasonable. In other words, if you only have $100 to risk, let's just say you're young, you're just starting out, and you've only got $100 available for extra money that you can afford to invest if you lose it. If you try to... Put $100 in the stock market, sure, that $100 might turn into $200 in five or six years, but as a young guy with $100, I got to be honest, that's just not going to get you rich. Now, if you, have an, if you can afford to add $100 a month, then yes, the basic plan of putting money in your IRA, putting it in your 401k at work, or just putting it in the bank is a great idea, but some people don't really have 100 a month. But if someone was to have taken $100 a month ago and bought Litecoin, they would now have like $500 a month later. That's where volatility is, can be your friend. Because you actually made a real real good profit instead of 5% a year, 10% a year, which in the real world is a great return. But for a guy with $100, that's not going to really help him that much. One of the things I noticed about inflation, they keep saying that inflation is 1% or 2%, some super low number. I was shocked when I saw that cigarettes, which I used to smoke back in the old days, I'll admit it, I used to be a smoker. When I quit smoking for good, cigarettes were 3 to $4 a pack, and at the time that was pretty expensive. Well, I turn around 10 years later and I noticed that Cigarettes are like 8 or $9 a pack. So I'm thinking a guy who needs to buy a carton is spending $90. Where do people come up with that kind of money? So what I'm saying is that inflation is a lot more than 1% or 2%. And that brings me around to my next bit of the discussion about the cryptocurrencies. Some people, if you listen on the news, you hear this talk about Bitcoin is in a bubble. And they start comparing it to famous bubbles one of which is called Tulip Mania. If you haven't heard of Tulip Mania, you should look it up because it's pretty entertaining reading. Some Dutch people back in the 1600s, for some reason, I, I don't know all about it, I've read about it, I'm, I'm not an expert, but for some reason tulips became very, very valuable and the price of tulip bulbs went through the roof just straight up, kind of like Bitcoin lately. And now people are saying, oh, Bitcoin's rising faster than the tulips in Holland. This must be the biggest bubble in history. Well, maybe in numerically how fast Bitcoin has gone up, yes, that's possible it is a bubble. What people don't realize is the number of people involved in the tulip mania were, number one, just a few people in a country called the Netherlands I don't know the numbers, but I'm guessing that a country like the Netherlands in the 1600s might have had, I'm just guessing, half a million people, maybe a million. So this tulip mania probably involved something like, and I'm just totally guessing, I have no idea, it probably involved five to 10,000 people who had enough money to invest money. Remember back then it was hugely skewed like it's going these days where the rich are very rich, the poor are very poor, and there's a lot of them, and there's very few middle class. I'm guessing that this tulip mania did not involve a large number of people. It probably involved the upper class, or at least upper middle class, of which there wasn't a big middle class back then, I guarantee it. There was like tradesmen, and then there was wealthy people. So... If you try to compare tulip mania with Bitcoin, it's to me, it's an absolute joke. Bitcoin is happening at a time where, and, like, and I've said this before on prior broadcasts, trillions of dollars a day get traded on things like, especially the foreign exchange. The largest market in the world on any given day is the foreign exchange market. The British pound, the euro, the dollar, the Japanese yen, those, are the mar- those markets trade in the trillions of dollars on a daily basis. So when someone tells you Bitcoin's in a bubble because the market cap of Bitcoin, and I just saw this today, is approaching $300 billion for Bitcoin and it's $500 billion for all the major cryptocurrencies together, this rise in Bitcoin is a nothing. It's what they call a nothing burger. There's really nothing to see. This is not a big deal based on the total number of dollars that are flying around. I also wanted to point out that when people talk about bubbles, they also start throwing the word Ponzi around. If you look up the man named Charles Ponzi, he became famous. He's sort of like MC Hammer has become synonymous with bankruptcy. Ponzi is synonymous with a crook. And the latest example that I can think of to remind you what a true Ponzi is, is the Bernie Madoff scandal. And a real Ponzi works like this. The initial investors start getting real good returns based on new investors' money getting paid to the old investors. So to make it real simple, you have one guy puts in $100,000 dollars the next guy puts in a hundred thousand, but ten thousand of that goes to pay the first guy for his first year's ten percent return. And so on and so on. The problem with a Ponzi scheme is there's no real return being made on the investments, but the new money is paying off the old investors and they all think they're making some great return. And obviously the problem there is you're gonna run out of new people and it's gonna collapse. And that's what happened with the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. Bitcoin is not a Ponzi scheme. There's a certain number of Bitcoins. I've been reading about this so I could try to educate people a little better because I'm not an expert on the computer side. There's a future limit of 21 million Bitcoins that will ever exist. There's less than that now, and they're what's being called mined. It takes tons of energy to mine a Bitcoin using like supercomputers i read one guy in new zealand was selling his house so he could invest in bitcoin mining equipment to generate bitcoin but the bottom line is that when the bitcoins are all mined there is a cap of 21 million of them now you might say oh well they say they're going to limit it to 21 million but what's to stop them I can't answer that because I'm not an expert at this thing called the blockchain technology. But I will say this, the money that you may be thinking about investing in a cryptocurrency, what are you going to spend to get one? The answer to that question is likely U.S. dollars. I'm going to propose something now that's going to compare dollars and it's gonna put US dollars in the middle between Bernie Madoff's Ponzi and Bitcoin. The reason I say that, well I'm actually gonna get back to the details of that when I come up against this break coming up, so after the break I will explain exactly what I'm talking about, but just think of it this way. You've got high, medium, and low. You've got high, and the top is Bernie Madoff and his 20-year Ponzi medium is the US dollar and low is Bitcoin. And I'm gonna explain that right when we get back. So stay tuned for business buzz. I'll be right back after this short break.
1: to mars for water when we have the best tasting water at mount shasta it comes from our protected springs and is delivered right to your door great landing bob hey where are you going with that those martians are stealing my water guess we have some new customers and anyone can get mount shasta spring water if they call us at 1-800-922-6227 pure simple naturally the best mount shasta spring water
0: It seems like every day I'm asked about vitamin D in the sun. The main question being, how much sunlight do I need to expose myself to get an adequate level of vitamin D? So my answer is simply, and consult your primary care physician if you think you might be deficient in vitamin D. I'm Dr. Paul Sabin, and that's The Skin You're In. If you have skin care questions, make an appointment today with Dr. Paul Sabin of North Valley Dermatology. Call Dr. Paul Sabin today at 342-3686. Again, that's 342-3686.
1: My name is Ruth Rusi, and this is How I Live United. I read to children as part of United Way's education program. It helps them create links between language and literacy and prepares them for a better academic future. I figure I have the time and they have the need. My name is Ruth Rusi. I help kids prepare to succeed in school. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it.
0: Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn CPA here on a lovely Chico afternoon. I was just talking, I was setting you up with something. Let's say the top, the listing here, we're talking about Bernie Madoff's Ponzi. The middle ground is the U.S. dollar. And at the bottom right now is Bitcoin or Litecoin or whatever your favorite cryptocurrency might be. How about, let's set it up this way. Let's say you're a Bernie Madoff investor who has been making a solid 10% return per year for the last 20 years because you were one of the first ones in. But let's say somebody gives you an opportunity a month before the whole Madoff thing crashed and everybody lost their money. Let's say a month before that happened, you decided to liquidate your Bernie Madoff investment and turn it into U.S. dollars, which is next down the line. Would you have been smart to do that? Would you look back and be very glad you did that? Of course you would, because the people who didn't do that lost, I think, all their money or 90% of their money, whatever it is. They lost a lot of money. Of course, they made a lot of money in those previous years, but if they didn't get the money out, it disappeared because the Ponzi scheme came to an end. The reason I'm placing the U.S. dollar right under a Ponzi scheme is this. Number one, unlike a Ponzi scheme, at least with a Ponzi scheme, if you're early into it, you will get a return on your money. Now, unfortunately, it's coming from other people's money that are going to lose down the road. But your money does get a return for a while. And a lot of Bernie Madoff's people were very happy for many, many years. The U.S. dollar does not promise you a return. These days with this zero interest policy, the banks pay you virtually zero interest. So your dollars, unless you want to risk them, like in the stock market or in the cryptocurrencies or at Bernie Madoff's place, you will not earn a return on those dollars. So number one, they don't earn a return. Number two, the reason I put them not that far Below I mean I put them below a Ponzi because that's really the worst thing, but I don't put them that I don't put them in a super beautiful place because what else the goal of the Federal Reserve, by the way, who which is not federal, and I don't know what kind of reserves they really have, their goal is to create inflation. their target is two percent inflation. now what kind of nonsense is that? The dollar that you're holding in your wallet is planned to go down in value. So in other words, they want you to spend that dollar and, you know, generate the economy. Well, the dollar itself, is pl- it's planned, it, its basic function in the world is to decrease in value. How's that for a great thing to hold on to? I've talked about this before. The dollar has decreased about 97% of its value against other things since it was begun in 1913. So to hold on to something that's designed to go down, to me, is not that smart. Of course, you have to have dollars to do your transactions, but I'm just saying that it's not, it's not the world's greatest thing to hold on to. So I will wrap up my cryptocurrency section today just by saying that I'm not an investment advisor. I'm just merely saying what I've done in the last month. I got to admit, I totally regret not putting more in, but at the time I did it, I did not want to lose a lot of money. But anytime I do a six-bagger, I'm pretty happy. And when the six-bagger only takes a month, I'm really happy. So all I can say is it's worth looking into. Uh, You don't want to put in any investment. You don't want to put money that you need for the bills next month into any investment so you never lock up your cash uh, beyond what you can afford to lose it's like taking your paycheck and playing one hand to blackjack at the casino and that assumes that the casino's honest and i'm i'm not going to get into that either i will just give you one tantalizing little thought why do the casinos at least the ones in Nevada why do they not use cards with borders Why do their cards have those little diagonal lines that you cannot see the border against the card behind it? That's all I'm going to say. If any of you have ever been a dealer in a Nevada casino, you can let me know whether I'm barking up the wrong tree or not. But I always wonder, why don't you guys use cards with borders? Could it be that we would see that you might be dealing the second card down? I have a bias against blackjack because I'm... I've studied it, I've practiced it, I've learned how to count cards, but I still have a problem with how many losing hands I get against defying all the odds. I just don't like it. It's it's just too weird. Okay, next up on the business topic today is audits. Well, now we know the IRS does audits, but their audits are just to get taxpayers in compliance and to make sure the taxpayer paid the right amount of tax. Now, there's also audits that CPAs do. I personally don't do audits as a CPA. Uh, They're very labor-intensive. I don't have the big enough staff to actually handle the job of what's called an audit. But all government entities need audits. All publicly traded companies need audits. And audits are basically the stamp of approval. I've talked about this before. If you listened last week, The stamp of approval of a CPA in its finest, highest form is the audit opinion, which says to, let's just use the example, it says to the investor in Apple stock, these financial statements dated at this date are actually correct. They've been audited and they do reflect the truth of what happened to Apple Incorporated over the last 12 months or whatever period. They do these quarterly, every three months. So that is the highest thing that a CPA can do. I choose not to because it's just such a it's such a labor intensive job. I'd have to hire a bunch of people, and you know, being an employer in California is it's not the most fun thing with all the red tape and regulations. So I choose not to be an employer of all those people. But uh, sure, I would like to if I was thirty years younger, just starting out now. But anyway, so. The reason I brought up the word audit is the new audit that is happening, which I'm reading from an article of December 10th, called Pentagon to undergo first ever audit after decades of sloppy accounting and, get this, drum roll again, missing trillions. If you recall, I told you the story about a month ago of the digging up of $21 trillion that's missing from the Department of Defense and Housing and Urban Development over the past 15 or so years. $21 trillion. Our entire national debt could be paid for if someone could just find these $21 trillion missing dollars. Now, I say that with a little bit tongue-in-cheek because obviously what I'm trying to say is, you know darn well that they know where those $21 trillion went. But we're not supposed to know that. So this article is really interesting. I was very happy to hear this. I'm going to read a little bit of it. After decades of waste, overpayments, trillions of missing or improperly accounted for dollars, and most recently losing track of 44,000 U.S. soldiers. By the way, that's another little scandal lately. I, I won't get into that article on a business show. The Pentagon is about to undergo its first audit in history. Now, let's just stop there for a minute. Let's, let's try to sit down after falling on the floor for that one. Can you believe that the thing that has been the biggest expenditure, I'm sure, I don't know, I mean, Social Security and Medicare, those are probably the largest expenditures each year in our national budget. But can you actually fathom the fact that a behemoth arm of the United of the federal government, the military, which spends, I'm just guessing a, a fourth to a third of the entire national budget every year for the last 60 years. Can you believe it's never been audited? Okay, uh, I'm sorry. I could not I, I had to get up off the floor after that one. So I'm going to read that again. The Pentagon is about to undergo its first audit in history, conducted by 2,400 auditors from independent public accounting firms to conduct reviews across the Army, Navy, Air Force, and more, followed by annual audits going forward. Okay, to me that is absolutely amazing. So, I'm not going to get into the entire story, but... I will read a little bit more. The Pentagon is no stranger to criticism over serious waste and purposefully sloppy accounting. A Department of Defense Inspector General's report from 2016, which appears to be unavailable on the DOD website, but fortunately was archived, found that in 2015 alone, a staggering $6.5 trillion in funds was unaccounted for out of the Army's budget. With two point eight trillion in quote wrongful adjustments occurring in just one quarter. So I'm not gonna dig dig too much further into that, but that's pretty outrageous. So now this also is gonna give a lot of work to these independent accountants because CPAs, I mean, I'm not overpriced, but CPAs in general don't come cheap. And if you're talking to like Deloitte and Tush and all these top five accounting companies, uh, you're going to talk millions of dollars. But put it, think of it this way. What a great investment. They could spend $500 million, They could spend a billion on this. Think about it this way. They spend a billion dollars auditing the, the Defense Department, but they save $6 trillion in money. That's absolutely outrageous, and that's a great return on investment. That's like a 650 bagger. Or something like that. So I thought that was really cool that the Department of Defense is going to be audited. Now how it comes out, what we end up hearing, we'll see. But uh, some of the comments, whenever I read these articles, the comments are always kind of funny. One guy says, why didn't Obama think of this? (laughs) No comment. But it's just amazing to think that a place that has lost 21 trillion dollars I don't know. We'll talk about it when we come back from the break. I've got some more interesting tidbits for you. We're going to have a lot of fun, so put your thinking cap on after the break. Right back with Business Buzz. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge, defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Dickis. A former humanitarian officer in the Israel Defense Forces was recently mocked and laughed at by a group of Palestinian students while giving a speech at a university in his speech the activist recounted how his grandfather was killed simply for his jewish faith it was also reported the crowd appeared to mock him while he shared about his own near-death experience while being caught up in a terrorist attack at the age of twelve members of the crowd held signs that said fascists off our campus and israel occupation forces Well, this is another disturbing example of the growing anti-Semitism taking place across college campuses. The Pacific Justice Institute provides legal representation to individuals without charge. Learn more at pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Hi, this is Rick McConnell with The Disciple Tip. Nobody has to tell you when you need more gas in your car, you look at the gauge, and if it's low, you put some gas back in. But what about your spirit? It works pretty much the same way. Your spiritual tank can get empty, and when it's low, you need a spiritual fill-up. But you don't have a gauge on your spirit to see how low you're getting. But there are some signs like depression, irritability, and a sense that God is far away. See Galatians chapter 5 for more signs of an empty tank and the secret of getting your spiritual tank full again. A message from Life Radio, KKXX AM and FM. Welcome back to Business Buzz. Harold Littlejohn, CPA, having a great December day. December's a great month for tax accountants like me. It's before the new year starts. It's after the big deadline. The giant deadline is October 15th, second only to April 15th. That's when all the extension returns were due, so they had to be done. So November and December are sort of the CPAs, Best months as far as that goes, but you have to get ready for the new upcoming year. There's always software things to deal with, there's always contacting all your clients. Some CPAs for tax season actually assign appointments to the prior year tax clients based on their appointment last year. I guess that might be easier for everybody. I haven't done that yet, and I just, I'm not sure. We still have a process at my office. We give everyone a call that had an appointment the year before, and we set those appointments up usually during December. We're we're a little behind right now just because we've had a lot of off-season work, but we call and we set up the appointments, and I just think it makes people feel better to just, you know, hey, what what day do you like? What, what appointment would you prefer? Maybe somebody last year needed to come in in early February because they had, for instance, They had a child going to college for the first time and they had to get their, there's a form called FAFSA and it's where college students have to list parents' income and their own income and tax return numbers by, I think, March 1st to get their student aid or their student loans set up. But maybe that person this year really doesn't have anything going. Maybe they're taking a big vacation this year and they aren't even back till March. Why? I don't think it's a good idea to automatically set that person up with another appointment on the fifth working day of February. So in my office, we actually still call all the people that had appointments last year, and we work out the appointment time that works good for them. And that's just the way I do things. I've always, I just feel like my practice, and there's a lot of good CPAs in town, I I never uh, try to compare like that. But my practice is sort of oriented towards customer service and what I lack in pure brains every time on a 70,000-page tax code, I try to make up for with good customer service when I can. Of course, you know, there's, we make errors now and then, but, you know, we, we fix them. So now the next little segment today, we only have a few minutes left. I'm very interested in teaching you My Miracle Business Method. I covered a few the last few weeks that I've been here without a guest, like today. I covered the number one method, which is called mind-watching. I hope you've practiced some of that since I told you about that. I think it's real helpful. Along with mind-watching, number one, then there's number two, which would be present-moment awareness, And the interesting thing there is when you practice one, you pretty much have to practice the other because the only way you can actually experience a present moment is to be watching your mind. As soon as you stop watching your mind, you drift away and you're gone and the present moment is not even there. So the Miracle Business Method, which is my upcoming book, takes into account the first two steps of mind-watching and present-moment awareness, and then it adds one that I talked about a week or two ago, which is called Ho Ho'oponopono, an ancient Hawaiian problem-solving technique. It puts you in that mind-watching by repeating simple phrases over and over in your mind while thinking about a certain topic. So if you're running into a certain problem lately... You can practice Ho'oponopono. I encourage you to look it up. It's spelled just like it's sound, H-O apostrophe O-P-O-N-O-P-O-N-O. I won't give you another detail on it today because I want to get to another topic. But if you look that up, you'll read people who do it. There's websites that actually make a living by teaching people this. There's people who do seminars. I like incorporating it into a more overall picture Of practices that'll help you. And the number one goal of this whole miracle business method isn't to make more money, even though I've found in practice that it does help and it will help you. But the reason it helps you is you become more peaceful. Your mind slows down by using these techniques. You become a more peaceful person, which allows you to see things as they come. In other words, the whole problem people have is they're so busy thinking they miss things along the way that they should have seen or should have done or should have put in order. In other words, one of the keys every day for me is to put in order. What am I going to do today? And if you don't have a calm, quiet mind, you will not be able to sit there and list. What am I going to do today? You will be hit with phone calls. You'll start reading your emails You'll open a letter from the IRS in the mail and pretty soon your whole day is out of control. I'm just talking from the perspective of a tax office, but everybody's job has its own bugaboos. Everybody's job has problems, but some common problems everybody's job has is letting the phone dictate your schedule instead of you picking up your messages when you're ready, letting email dictate your day, instead of you picking up your email on your schedule on you even not shutting your door and locking it for an hour and just saying don't interrupt me i'm going to have a what they call an income producing hour you got to do that at least once a day so you keep the income rolling in so these are just things that you know everybody says well i do fine i've been in business 20 years i get everything done i make a profit yes but Are you making it as smoothly as you could? And I'm not saying are you making as much as you possibly could, because that's not always the answer. Are you making it as peacefully as you could? Are you making it calmly? Is your mind at rest? That's where the Miracle Business Method is very helpful. So one of the other methods or techniques in the Miracle Business Method I call into the mirror, and that's just my catchy little phrase for a teleseminar I did on this, but I call it into the mirror because one of the keys to the peaceful mind is to realize that you are doing this whole world to yourself in your mind. There, There is no outside world that's attacking you. Now, whether or not you believe that or not, it really doesn't matter, but if you act as if it was true, then you can test whether it helps you or not. And when I first started doing this, it was pretty freaky to even consider that. But what I've done is I've actually enhanced the Ho'oponopono sayings, and I've added one to my litany when I practice Ho'oponopono, and that is a fifth one that says I'm looking at my own thoughts. Now, first of all, whether you believe that or not, you just have to practice it to see if it helps you because it definitely helps me. And so what I did was, since we're on a faith-based life radio here, I'm not a huge Bible follower. I'm not a huge Bible reader. I have read quite a few parts of the Bible at different times, only because I'm just interested in things like history and Jesus and all that. But... Now that I've studied these other methods of calmness and mind training, I very, I'm very curious about how the Bible treats these things. Because after all, that is the closest we'll know to the words of Jesus, and I'm very curious about that. So I'm looking right here at a place called dailyverses.net, verses as in, you know, verses, V-E-R-S-E-S dot net, dailyverses.net. And so I typed in Bible verses about ne- the neighbor, because I know the neighbor, one of Jesus' main things is love thy neighbor. So I went and looked these up, and almost every one of these leads me right back to the whole idea that there is no world out there and that you are looking at your own thoughts. So I'm going to read a few of these. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And that's Mark 12:31. Then there's, uh, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Okay, here's one from Corinthians 10:24. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Well, that kind of says it also. Here's another one. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I'll just read a couple more. For the, oh, here's Galatians 5.14. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, quote, Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that one keeps coming up. Here's one here in Philippians 2.3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Then Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Well, isn't that the golden rule? So what I'm coming to with all this, and what I learned from reading all this, is that my intense interest in a book called A Course in Miracles, which some people say is sort of anti-biblical, to me is totally along the lines of these teachings. Because it says that the only way to have a peaceful mind and a happy life here is to forgive. And so when Jesus talks about forgiveness, I don't have those up on the screen right now, but when Jesus talks about forgiveness, that's exactly what the Course talks about. And what it is is it recommends that you forgive everyone, and it's not— because you're better than them or you're sparing them from some punishment or something like that, it's that we're all pretty much interrelated. So in, if you accuse somebody of doing something, you're basically accusing yourself of doing the same thing. That's why the Course ties in for me so well to the Bible side, because forgiveness and loving neighbor, and the other one is uh, love your enemy— which, as Eckhart Tolle points out, means have no enemies. If you do that, you're actually treating yourself better. And if you practice that, you find that it makes you feel better. The goal of that course, which is like a 1,300-page book, the goal is simply peace of mind. It's trying to get you to not feel Anxious, to not feel uptight, to not feel angry. And it's okay to be angry because everybody gets angry. And it's okay to be uptight because everybody gets uptight. But if you can learn methods that actually teach you to not be uptight, to not be angry, to be calm, it all boils down to whether you can actually practice these things like forgiveness. There's 365 lessons in that course that are daily lessons that you're supposed to actually practice. And I'll be honest, I'm not an advanced teacher of that course because I have not done all 365. But I have done quite a few of them, and I've done a few of them over and over. If I have a real big problem that's really eating at me, like a problem at work that I know is going to last for a while, I actually apply it to an exact course lesson. And that lesson, the one in particular that I've used a lot, the lesson says... For instance, let's just say I have a problem with, uh, with a person named X. The lesson actually says, God did not create this problem with the person X. Therefore, it does not exist. Now, that sounds silly and stupid, and it sounds like you're like you're avoiding the problem and not fess- fessing up to your problem. I can tell you from experience that if you practice that type of talk about your problems you will actually start solving them and they will be not nearly as heavy as you thought they were. You'll see that it just happened. So when I started teaching my my miracle business method, I had to tell people you don't have to believe this. You just have to practice it. If you don't believe it, it doesn't matter. You just practice it. When I first started practicing it, I don't believe it. There's still many times where I question myself all day long and, Every day I have questionable days where I say, I'm not sure that's even actually happening. But I'm just trying to encourage you to be calm. You'll make more money in the long run. Your business will go better. You'll take care of business better. And I will see you next time on Business Buzz. Thanks for listening. This is Harold Littlejohn, CPA. I'll see you next time. KKXX, Paradise, K280GL, Chico, and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
2: Rock House Dining and Espresso is known for their patio. Enjoy the ducks and chickens visiting the patio in their environmental, farm-fresh, lively atmosphere. Rock House is...
0: KKXX, Paradise,
2: K280GL, Chico,
0: and K283AR, Chico, Yuba City, Marysville.
2: Rock House Dining and Espresso is known for their patio. Enjoy the ducks and chickens visiting the patio in their environmental, farm-fresh, lively atmosphere. Rock House is an iconic landmark in Butte County since the 1930s. Seven minutes north of the Lime Saddle Bridge, only two miles past the hardware store. Originally built in 1937, the two buildings served as restaurant and tavern, shower house, barber shop, gas station, and cafe. Live music every Saturday night in the Fireside Room. All natural hot spice cider, mochas, cappuccinos, caramel macchiatos, and pumpkin pies made right here from fresh pumpkins. Kent Westfield, Christian singer-songwriter, is bringing acoustic music he's putting on his current album. Call before coming by for a list of live music at 532-1889 at Rock House Dining and Espresso on Highway 70 in Yankee Hill.